Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's July 25th, 1959, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel. Rebecca and Ali, the Retrospectors. Two hours, three minutes. Doesn't seem like a lightning quick journey from Calais to Dover these days, but today in history in 1959, it was extraordinary because it was the first ever trip across the Channel for Britain's pioneering flying boat, Hovercraft. Yeah, and on this maiden voyage were just three people, Captain Peter Lamb, John Chaplin, who is the navigator, and Christopher Cockrell, the inventor of the hovercraft itself, who really was there, in his own words, acting simply as movable ballast. So he was presumably just <laughs> running from one side of the craft to the other to make sure it didn't actually flip over and not make it there in two hours and three minutes at all. <laughs> yeah, and he'd come to the world of inventing the hovercraft in kind of a circuitous route. He he was a Cambridge-educated engineer and then a specialist in radio technology. During World War II, he'd worked on radar. And after the war, he carried on developing new radio tech, as well as he worked at the BBC HQ at Alexandra Palace at the time. But then a few years after the war, his father-in-law died and he used part of the inheritance to buy a small boat and caravan hire company in Norfolk, Ripplecraft Limited. Not, not quite sure why. And I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't feel great about, you know... Not how you'd waste your inheritance? Well, it's not how I'd waste my husband's inheritance. I mean, anyway, I think he was trying to move into this world, but he found that actually it wasn't making a lot of money and he was trying to brainstorm ways to drum up trade and thought that if the boats went a bit faster, that might do it. So he came up with this idea which would eventually become the hovercraft. And that idea was simply that you could reduce the friction that the boat has as it travels through water by floating it above the water by using engines to propel it like an aircraft but only slightly above the water so you don't get that pushback from the water the resistance as it travels through and in one of those really weird like Dennis the Menace style phenomenons of unrelated identical developments across the Atlantic mirroring each other at the same (laughs) time as this in the US someone called Melville Beardsley came up with essentially the same idea at the same time but Cockrell just pipped them to the post and Hovercraft forever is seen as a kind of British innovation. Yeah, but was this other guy testing his theories using a vacuum cleaner and two tin cans, <laughs> as Cockrell was? Because he, like, part of his inspiration was thinking back to the D-Day and Normandy landings and how you could do two things, both get safely up a, a beach very fast, but also how to get troops onto the ground dry because this was of course a massive problem that people jumped off the edge of their landing craft and would get completely soaked from head to toe not to mention their equipment which was also messed up and so he did this thing of testing his idea in exactly this way he he had holes made in these two tin cans and then applied a vacuum cleaner to them and showed how pushing out a small amount of air around the edges of a cylindrical shape could help to make it float 
Yeah, because there had been crafts before that used the principle that this cushion of air under the surface would propel the boat along. But the issue was the amount of power that was needed to blast a bed of air under the whole craft made it a non-viable idea. And Cockerell's innovation was that the air could be channeled around the edge of the craft in a narrow jet to form a so-called momentum curtain. It's moving air that would not only lift the craft, but the motion of the air swirling around the edge would also propel it forward, which would make it massively more efficient. And a literal curtain as well. And one of the reasons that hovercraft, if you've ever seen one, sadly, are a little bit underwhelming when you've been told there's going to be a flying boat <laughs> is because actually you can't see it's flying off the water because the way it works so as not to just expend all of that energy into the sea is the air underneath is trapped by a sort of rubber skirt that billows out from the bottom, which keeps the craft aloft on this cushion Kind of like an air hockey table. Yeah, and by 1955, he had actually built a working model out of balsa wood, and he'd also filed his first patent for the hovercraft. He really found it almost impossible to get any interest from the private sector, and so instead he decided to approach the British government. Their response, I felt, was a a little bit mean, because the leaders of the defence groups who he was speaking to said, A, they weren't interested, but B, that they wanted to put the whole technology on the government's secret list and basically not fund its development themselves but not allow him to take it very much further himself. And it actually remained classified for another uh, three years until 1958 and they only changed their mind after similar developments on the continent were beginning and they decided to declassify this thing and allow Cockrell to push it forward. Yeah, I mean, apparently he demonstrated his prototype in front of defence officials over car in Whitehall offices. And, you know, they liked what they saw, but people didn't get it. Nobody really understood what it was for. And that was... There's no war over carpets. (laughs) (laughs) One of the issues was just that people didn't quite understand what a hovercraft was. You know, it wasn't shippy enough for shipbuilding firms to want to build it, but it wasn't (laughs) aircrafty enough for aerospace firms either. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And in fact, the following May, after this day in history, it appeared, this boat, this craft, I mean, it's, it's hard to even know what the noun is, right? On the River Thames to demonstrate its abilities to MPs. They brought the craft to Westminster so people could see it because the terminology just wasn't there. Is it a boat? Is it a plane? I mean, Cockrell said on this issue of categorisation, quote, the Admiralty said it was a plane and not a boat. The Royal Air Force said it was a boat and not a plane. And the Army were plane not interested. Boom. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) In the end, of course, they were marketed hovercraft commercially as flights. Mm. And the liveries were done up like planes. Yeah, but at this point, the you know, the fully working prototype which crossed the channel on this day had eventually been manufactured with the help of what was called the National Research Development Corporation. Despite the name, I know it doesn't sound interesting, it is a really interesting body because it was established by the government to try and get all of these products and technologies that had been developed during World War II. You know, you had the country's best minds working on these new developments but none of them were in production in the private sector. So it was sort of trying to bridge that gap and get those things out there. Eventually, it was manufactured by a British firm called Saunders Rowe. So the prototype was called the SRN1. One early fan was Prince Philip, who visited in December 1959. And he insisted that Captain Peter Lamb let him take a turn at the controls. And then he started driving it at such a high speed that they were like begging him to slow down. Uh, (laughs) The dent that his test drive left in the craft was left untouched and it was affectionately referred to as the Royal Dent. By 19. 
1968, you had these regular services that were taking passengers from England to France in this sort of mock, glamorous kind of, you know, everyone dressed in their sophisticated, um, you know, British in-flight uniforms and and patrons also dressing up to, to go on the experience. But I think actually the problem of the fact that it was very energy inefficient, these things were just burning enormous amounts of fuel, in conjunction with the reality that it's not very useful to have a vehicle that can go on water and land outside of search and rescue and military scenarios. You know, you don't actually want to drive off the edge of the English Channel and all the way to Paris. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, the Channel is already so well developed on both coasts that the issue has never been, oh, but where would we park the boat? You know, there's plenty right. of port space. <laughs> it's really handy in military search and rescue on difficult terrain. You know, it's good on ice, it's good on mud. You can use it in the desert over sand as well. But yeah, it was very difficult to turn into a financially viable passenger service. Also because it's very loud. If you live nearby, you would be deafened by the noise of it too. And the thing that kind of killed it as a viable venture was the fuel crisis in the 1970s. But it carried on being popular with passengers on that particular route of Dover to Calais all the way up until the turn of the century. And it got faster. The quickest ever journey on hovercraft took just 22 minutes between Dover and Calais, which is still quicker now than getting the Eurotunnel. More than 80 million people and 12 million cars crossed the channel by hovercraft. And when they retired it in 2000, four people in a car cost the passenger £10, which was the same cost that it was in 1969. So it was cheaper as well. So the thing that actually killed it for the passengers was the abandonment of duty-free. I mean, it's a very boring (laughs) (laughs) legislative decision. But duty-free shopping made up 70% of the income for hovercraft. People used to literally go on the boat, craft, whatever you call it, buy bottles of booze and fags, and then just come straight home again for a dinner. What a frantic 22 minutes. (laughs) 22 minutes. And once that had gone, then, I mean, you might as well get the ferry, you might as well get the train. Yeah, that in conjunction with the fact that like everyone who saw, heard or was on it was deaf by the end of using it. (laughs) And a bit terrified. I remember taking one with my dad in the 90s and it was like, you know, fingernails into the side of the chairs. I was going to ask if you guys have been on a hovercraft. Like 22 minutes across the channel feels uncomfortable. Yes, a little bit uncomfortable. But the whole point is that it's floating on a cushion of air. So is it smooth? No, it's turbulent, I would say. (laughs) Is it more turbulent than a boat? Yes, but I suppose what I my my recollection of it was that it was more consistently turbulent, if you know what I mean. Like it didn't. It, it's you know you know whereas like a ferry, you'd have a particularly bad crossing if it was choppy. Like hovercraft, you were guaranteed a bad crossing. <laughs> yeah, you know, some kind of reliability that yeah. no one wants to get behind. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow models he used were known to be sex workers and beggars and like I say he did a lot of self-portraits ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors patreon.com slash retrospectors